Welcome to OBS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 71. This episode is an interview with Frederick Kautz of Doc.ai and Nikolai Nikolayev from VMware. They're going to talk to us about network service mesh. On to the interview. Welcome to OVS Orbit, everybody. This morning, I'm talking to Frederick Kautz from Doc.ai and Nikolai Nikolaev from VMware. And they're two of the uh, developers of Network Service Mesh. Before I jump into that anymore, uh, would one of you like to jump in and explain what Network Service Mesh is? Sure. So Network Service Mesh is a project. Uh, it's a CNCF sandbox project. And it has it has two things that it's that it's trying to focus on. I guess you say two missions. So the first one is how do you find network services? So discovery of network services. The second thing that we focus on is how do we negotiate the connection between uh, the consumer of a network service and the thing providing that uh, that network service. So everything is surrounding those two initial questions. And so uh, we've built in a, we've built the project around. Uh, around providing an answer to those in a cloud-native way. So I guess on a very high level, those are those are our goals. Okay. I, I realized that I, I made a mistake here. Um, I, I, I jumped into the project before uh, we found out anything about uh, the, the developers. So, uh, uh, Frederick, do you want to say anything more uh, about yourself uh, before we uh, really get into Network Service Mesh? Sure. So I'm uh, currently working over at Doc.ai has their head of edge infrastructure and their head of federated learning. Um, also, before that, I was at Red Hat in the office of the CTO focusing on uh, container container networking um, and where the two cross together. Um, so in a, yeah. So in a nutshell, that's uh, my, my background. Uh, Nikolai? Um, yeah, I'm Nikolai Nikolaev. I work for VMware as a uh, networking team lead in the, our open source technology center. Uh, I am uh, contributing to network service mesh uh, since uh, like late October last year, and I'm one of the four core maintainers of the project. Frederick, I believe you said that uh, that one of the things that network service me- service mesh does is that it negotiates the connection. Uh, between entities. I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Would you like to delve into that anymore? Sure. So when we say negotiates a connection, there's actually two types of connections that we look at. So the first one is how do you connect something that is on the same node? So how do you connect from a container to, let's say, a, a data plane? And so your container might have a certain set of things that it might support. So it might support let's say, a kernel interface, or it might support uh, MemIF, and, uh, or it might support, let's say, like vhost user. And so what, it, what the, the container's job is in this scenario is to say, I support, in this order, MemIF, vhost user, kernel interface, or those are my preferences. The data plane might only support a subset of these. So it might support, let's say, MemIF and the kernel interface. So in that scenario, it'll land you MemIF. The other thing that we try to connect together is the forwarding element or the data plane to other forwarding elements or data planes to a remote. So you can think of like uh, node to node. So the you might have one data plane that says, I support VXLAN and GRE, 
uh, and maybe they're connecting to something else that only supports VXLAN. And so we negotiate the connection parameters in order to establish a connection between the two of them. So we so we've uh, broken apart the one of them we we call a local mechanism. We call the other one a uh, remote mechanism. And a connection is a series of local and remote connections that, or, or local and remote mechanisms that uh, that connect two workloads together. Okay, so uh, let's talk about some of the uh, some of the components that are involved here. Um, uh, is is network service mesh uh, specifically about VMs or containers? Um, are we talking about uh, something that that works with uh, on-premise data centers? Or are we talking about native cloud? What, what where where does it fit into uh, all of these uh, uh, different things in our uh, in our, our world of uh, of computers and networks today? Yeah, so we we start off with um, our reference architecture is Kubernetes. Um, pod to pod. So for example, we loaded a, a switch into a into a pod, we then cause we then created the connections to it. And so the in the long in the long run, the way that we set up the negotiation API, we set it up so that there's there's not really a, a Kubernetes tie to it. So when you're connecting a, a your node to another node, it doesn't know whether the other node is Kubernetes or or whether it's representing a top of rack switch or maybe some SDN. So at the high level, it's, it doesn't actually know what it's connecting to. So as long as it speaks that high level API, uh, it's and it's able to negotiate a connection, then a connection should uh, should occur. Uh, but the reference architecture that we released is primarily Kubernetes centric at this point, since that's where we see a high uh, high volume, or rather, it's where it's where the the cutting edge stuff is is happening, and we want to be on the forefront of that. Okay, so help help me understand how this fits into the the world of Kubernetes networking. Um, I I understand that with Kubernetes, uh, you have a a choice of uh, several uh, networking providers uh, that uh, that that are uh, and 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 some of them are 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 very uh, uh, popular. You've got Calico and and Flannel and uh, uh, many other choices. Uh, does network is ne- network service mesh another choice, or does it interact with those? How how does it all fit in? Yeah, so so network service mesh, the connections that it provides are orthogonal to uh, to uh, like your standard CNI networking. So you could install, let's say, Calico, and then you can install network service mesh and. It'll land you additional interfaces into your pod on demand. So uh, we we go through we go through sev- uh, a few efforts to ensure that we don't conflict with your standard Kubernetes networking. And so part of uh, part of the realization was that the Kubernetes networking, the way that it's been set up for the standard Kubernetes networking use case, is absolutely fantastic. So we didn't want to mess with that. But it's also the realization that. Uh, that in not adding any complexity to Kubernetes networking, there's a, a whole range of different types of uh, use cases that have been left out. So the moments that you decide to bring in MPLS or maybe you want to deal with uh, Ethernet frames or maybe you want to, maybe the payload that you want to work with is at a higher level. Maybe you want to work directly with, with uh, VXLAN. Then the uh, the model that Kubernetes brings doesn't really fit very well in that in that scenario, 
And so, uh, so we're additive to to Kubernetes and uh, and try to do it in a way that doesn't uh, interfere with this with your standard pod to pod networking or uh, or service load balancing or so on. Is network service mesh then a a layer below uh, the standard CNI, or are we talking about something that's that's separate and supplemental? Uh, it's separate and, sub- and supplemental, so we're we're com- we're completely orthogonal to uh, to CNI. Uh, if I can amend here, uh, so um, yes, it is uh, separate and supplemental, but also there has been discussions about how one can implement a CNI plugin on top of a network service mesh and essentially leave network service mesh um, the job of um, managing the connections between the pods. Okay, so uh, we have an idea then of how it fits in with uh, Kubernetes uh, networking. Maybe uh, the thing to do to make it a little clearer is uh, can can one of you uh, lay out uh, an example or a use case of a situation uh, where network service mesh would uh, would add uh, a great deal of value to to whatever someone was trying to accomplish? Okay, I can go with that. So uh, we have this uh, typical example that is that we give in our intro talks. Um, so we have uh, we usually describe it with um, talking about our friend Sarah, uh, who who wants to deploy uh, her workloads in a pub- public cloud, and then she wants to consume, for example, some uh, corporate database from the internet of. Uh, uh, the, that is uh, in their office uh, network. Um, And then uh, network service mesh uh, can help here by um, essentially providing the facilities for the uh, operations team, or maybe the networking team rather, uh, to deploy services uh, configured in in a way that, um, that they provide the VPN connectivity straight to the office uh, without the need for Sarah to understand uh, any low-level things about how this connectivity uh, is composed and how it works. Uh, then uh, what uh, the only thing that Sarah would need to do in such case is to just uh, label her pod uh, with uh, a specific annotation during uh, the, the, the deployment. Uh, then the network service mesh, uh, we have an admission controller that essentially is going to take care and uh, provide her with the connection to the proper network service uh, that will provide uh, this uh, VPN or secure internet connectivity as we call it in our examples. Uh, And then uh, because uh, network service mesh essentially defines that the network service is not a single pod or a single uh, single entity, but it's a more of a composable thing. Uh, then, essentially, uh, this this network service could be um, could be composed out of a firewall, a gateway, maybe TPI, uh, or something else. But Shara would never know about it. And even if something needs to be changed within this network service, she would probably never never see that that this thing happened. To tie into that, um, so the way that I've been explaining to people recently is you can think of it from three different types of users. So as a consumer, so you have Sarah. Sarah wants to consume a, let's say she wants to be connected to some secure corporate intranet. 
uh, Sarah is a, a use case that we've that we've put together. So uh, whenever you hear talk talk about Sarah, we typically mean uh, secure corporate internet connectivity. So for Sarah, she just wants to be able to connect into a uh, to a uh, to her corporate internet. She wants it to be secure. She doesn't really care how it happens as long as she gets a kernel interface that uh, that she can interact with. For uh, the operator, the operator cares about what does that thing really mean. So the operator wants to be able to say that secure corporate intranet really means you go through a firewall, an intrusion detection system, you go through a, uh, a certain set of VPNs, and then you and that's secure corporate intranet. And there's a couple other things that are tied into that as well, like how do you deal with IPAM? How do you inject the routes into the into the uh, consumer's pod? Uh, how do you do that in a way that doesn't require the consumer to hack privileges? So there's uh, there's a series of requirements that the operator has that uh, NSM aims to make easy. For the vendor of any of these components, like as a firewall vendor, you don't really care about you know where do you like, how where do you fit into the chain. You primarily care about how do you how do you make sure that uh, like you're you're able to connect to the rest of the system. So you you want to bind on an interface type, and you want to bind on a payload. So the interface type, the firewall vendor might say, I support MemIF, and my payload is IP. And so based upon that declaration, we can then bind to, we can then, when the operator creates a service function chain, we can then drop that firewall into the into the right location and provide the right type of connectivity to make it to make it work. So we, there's other users as well, but those are the main three that we that we tend to focus on. Maybe it would help to contrast uh, what you've described with Sarah to uh, what would have to happen to get the similar functionality if network service mesh didn't exist. Presumably, uh, it was created to relieve some kind of pain that, that people were having uh, when they were trying to do this sort of uh, connecting back to the, the mothership sort of thing from, uh, from native cloud. There's a couple pieces of, uh, or a couple pain points that we've attempted to alleviate. So the first one is making sure that the uh, that the consumer's pod does not require privileges. And so when we first started this project, uh, most of the solutions out there, if they didn't work directly with the uh, with the CNI to to create a, a, some form of an endpoint in that scenario. Uh, they would require the user to have privileges in some way. So there was a one example is people would use an init container, and the and they would then uh, create a new interface in that init container or or create IP table rules in order to connect them to a to a service mesh, and then they would have the service mesh then create the uh, the tunnel out. But the problem is that when you bring in the init container, the init container needs privileges, which means the entire pod has privileges. And so there's been quite a bit of work to to get around that, and I believe some of the SDO the SDO team may have worked out a way to get around some of these issues. So it's not it's not one of the the main drivers uh, anymore when it comes to IP tables, but it's still a major driver when you start to look at you know what if you want to configure something like uh, SRLV in a specific way, or you want to configure uh, you want to configure uh, your pod with something. Uh, with with something that is uh, that requires privileges in, in another way, and so so we're able to help with that uh, semantic. But the area where we're really driving towards is how do we do cloud native style like function chaining or service enablement 
we also are looking at like how do we set up uh, uh, across. So like we we negotiate these connections, and we spoke about how we could like negotiate like a fire like your consumer to the firewall as an example. Uh, and so, what if that firewall happened to to exist in another cluster, or maybe maybe you want to connect to uh, your your other half of the VPN is is owned by another entity, and so how do you negotiate that connection between your VPN client and their VPN server? And so we're so we're looking at how do we how do we solve issues with those types of negotiations where the, the where the context is uh, passed around and the group, the entity that has the best context is able to make the decision. So like your, your VPN server knows best what, what uh, IP routes or what, what routes need to be set, uh, what cedar ranges that you, you should not collide with and all that information gets sent back through the cluster. So when you decide what IPAM, uh, like what, when your IPAM decides, okay, well, what IP address should I set, set for this link? Uh, you can be certain that you got that information from a source that actually that knows that knows what it is was able to automate that entire path, and so it, it helps alleviate a lot of the uh, a lot of the manual and out of band steps that you typically would have in setting up these type of connections and brings them in band so that when you make the request for that connection things just get automated and and you don't have to worry about them. I mean they're they're still there, but you don't have to worry about okay. Well, what was the what was the IP address that you set on this? What was the, where are the set of routes? Or maybe they the new set of routes were added. So uh, I how do I make sure that those get uh, added over time to my to my pod? Uh, what happens if there's a conflict? How do I resolve those? And so being able to, to create policy over time so that you can describe like what your what your strategy is to to mitigating these these types of issues. So. So it's 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 very heavily about automating that entire. Uh, that's what I was saying, like in the very beginning about negotiating connections. It's about like how do we negotiate the connection so that it becomes very easy. So you just declare, you it, you specify in a declarative way what you want, and then you let the system render something that provides you with that thing. <laughs> Got it. Uh, so it sounds like uh, some of the power here is uh, what I'm thinking of as kind of a administrative separation that uh, the the people who uh, who run and own the network can do the configuration of uh, of your VPN and your and your tunneling etc and then the people who just want to use it uh, are uh, are running inside the container inside the pod and they use it without having necessarily uh, to to worry about how it's implemented exactly and so as a user you you ask for the thing you want, you get it. As the operator, you are able to describe what that thing is, and even even across a heterogeneous environment. So, you can think of it as a, a controller of controllers. Uh, so it it sounds like this uh, also uh, gets used uh, with or, or or for service function chaining. Uh, is service function chaining something that uh, network service uh, mesh provides, or does it interface to other systems that do it? What's the story there? We prefer to call it uh, uh, service composition. And uh, if we refer back to our name, it is essentially network service mesh. I mean, that's how we distinguish from the traditional service meshes. So, um, yes, uh, one of the one of the big goals and of the, the big one of the big potentials that actually are seen from various communities uh, uh, 
with network service meshes around uh, service chaining or service composition. Uh, um, actually, the, the, the capability to build more complex functions out of a smaller, um, if you want uh, to call them microservice type of uh, endpoints. So uh, these uh, small pieces that actually we build uh, network services out of, we call them endpoints in our uh, language, the network service mesh. And uh, as I said, it very much tries to resemble the microservice approach um, and the, uh, the breaking of the monoliths or the huge functionalities into smaller pieces, which already existed in the service function chaining uh, before, of course, I mean, it's not uh, something new, but uh, I think that we reiterate uh, on it in a cloud native way, where actually we try to uh, apply the, the declarative approach uh, here. And uh, if you go deep into uh, deeper into our uh, network service for, uh, network service de definition, uh, you would see that uh, we have a, essentially a descriptor where uh, you can define rules of how these uh, uh, functions are chained, uh, how these endpoints are uh, chained, or actually how how you compose. Uh, the network services out of these endpoints and uh, always done by uh, essentially um, la label matching and um, um, essentially the client uh, can label their requests and from there on um, you have the full full freedom I mean from the operator and from the client point of view to uh, label your request and then label your endpoints and uh, create all various uh, interesting uh, meshes of endpoints which uh, uh, essentially are building or composing the services yeah so so in our in our literature we so even though we support service function chaining as uh, as nikolai described uh we've been careful to stay away from the word because one of our goals is to also get enterprise customers to start using it and when you start to use words that are very telco centric uh the enterprises get a little bit worried and they start to to back away and so so we, we actually see a, a scenario where, uh, like we, we've given a few talks before where we'll talk about the composition of services and, uh, and we've had people come up and say, well, isn't that just service function chaining? And it's like, well, yes, but, uh, um, but it's, we, so you, so we do support it, but it's not something that we typically, like we've, we try to use words that are more on the enterprise side because we know that the telcos and, and service providers, uh, they understand the space well enough so that when they see service function chaining and other similar things, they they know that they they know how to make it happen. Uh, but it's it's something that's relatively new. Like your average enterprise developer isn't really thinking about these type of things, and so um, so we want to try to tie in use cases that that help bring them along as well. So that's that's why we don't specifically say service function chaining, even though it is one of one of the use cases. And I would like to amend something here. So um, uh, during the journey with network service mesh, at least for me, uh, th there is this interesting, um, how to say, um, if you know this ch Chinese ink and yang uh, uh, graphic. Uh, so uh, essentially, we see how we, we we are trying to fit the concepts that are very well developed in the enterprise world, all these cloud native. Um, approaches, microservices, and things. We try to fit them to solve uh, um, um, telco type of uh, workloads and 
problems. And also, um, um, we are participating in various communities which are uh, involving a lot of uh, uh, telco vendors, telco uh, operators, service providers. So uh, we see how, and I think that is something that's going to happen more and more in the future, how the re requirements uh, to satisfy the telco uh, needs uh, are going to essentially improve the ecosystem in a way that uh, in the end, um, the uh, enterprises are going to the, the enterprise workloads uh, and uh, the enterprises are going to to to, to benefit from. Uh, this, of course, we all know that telcos have much more stricter requirements about uh, you know uh, resource management, uh, latencies, throughput, performance, uh, and uh, yeah, I believe that all this co collaboration around network service mesh in the end is going to to end up for improving the the situation for let's say, both both parties can. Oh, so you see uh, telcos as a potential uh, future user base for network service mesh? Uh, yes, it is definitely one of the, 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 the strong use cases um, that actually drove, I don't know, Fred was in the beginning, he probably can tell more, but uh, the way that I see it is one of the strong strong use cases for NSM. I mean, at least in my mind, uh, NSM is, uh, is, is changing the foundation of a lot of things, and this enables a lot of use cases. So you can see things as we described with SARA in the, in the public clouds, uh, or you, you should be able to also uh, uh, do, you know, converge clouds like um, private to public clouds, uh, workloads, uh, the distribution, network service distribution. Uh, then um, because of the service chaining or service co composition, as we call it, a lot of telcos are also looking into this. So we have uh, uh, several people from uh, different uh, service operators that are actually uh, very active in the community and helping us with uh, you know, feedback requirements and things. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, and one of the reasons why is um, if you look at the telcos, uh, how five, what they're doing with the 5G side. So, like, the 5G use cases is more than just, you know, we have a better radio. So, if you, so if you look at how, at, at what the numbers are, your, your average 4G uh, uh, system can handle around 4,000 devices. I think it was 4,000 per square mile. And your 5G radios are able to handle somewhere around, uh, uh, I'm, trying to remember, I'm trying to remember, I think it was like around 3 million devices per, per square mile. And so the density is, is significantly higher. And the other thing that they want to do is they also want to start putting data centers uh, as close to the users as possible. And so that data center may include, if, so if you look at uh, companies like Vapor.io and uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to put data centers literally at the radio sites themselves or very close to the radio sites so that you can get uh, local computation that is that uh, that can be used by those by those uh, devices and so these type of uh, systems they're they're very likely uh, they're looking at things like kubernetes uh, containers uh, being able to spin pods up quickly, uh, re uh, able to to analyze the uh, the uh, use case or what are the usage of your system, and be able to to spin up your pods based upon uh, based upon your uh, your demand. And so so we start looking at things like networks, uh, what they call network slicing, 
which is where you have from end from your central all the, from your central uh, system all the way down to the end devices getting uh, getting uh, dedicated resources that uh, have been set up in a very specific way. Uh, we believe that network service mesh can play a very strong role in making these type of connections uh, these type of connections happen. And so, because of this very strong play to pu to push into uh, into cloud native technologies, uh, and several of the use cases they have are not uh, IP related, uh, but there's other types of uh, payloads that they want to deliver as well, uh, and they want to be able to to describe what those types of connections are in a declarative way. So we think that there's a, a really a, a really good use case that we can help. Uh, that we can help solve in the in the uh, service provider space in order to provide some of these types of capabilities. You mentioned network slicing. What role do you foresee for NSM and in, in network slicing? As as just one example, uh, one can very easily imagine that the network service, the way that we define it, as a composable um, entity out of smaller endpoints. Um, this very 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 easily can be seen as a as a separate slice. So um, one can uh, essentially define a network service that implements a particular slice, um, and then you can build some uh, form of orchestration on top of that uh, that actually can move the slice back and forth or uh, reschedule resources. But um, uh, essentially, network service mesh is going to provide a dedicated um, a linkage between all the components in the slides, which are going to be completely isolated from each other, so uh, scheduling resources for them uh, in an isolated uh, fashion uh, will be much easier. You've talked about how you prefer the term service composition over service function chaining for carefully thought through reasons, so uh, clearly naming is important to you. Um, the, the name network service mesh clearly resembles the other kind of, of service mesh that we see in, in containers. What's the relationship there, and uh, how, how, did you, how did you come up with the name? But early, early on, uh, we took a lot of inspiration from service meshes. So if you look at the declarative nature of, of your standard service meshes, or uh, I'm starting to, recall, I'm starting to uh, call them uh, application service meshes. And so... They're primarily L4 through L7 based. Uh, you declaratively state the type of connections you want, maybe some policy and so on, and they go and make some L4 or L7 connection happen. When we're looking at network service mesh, uh, it's sort of a play on two ideas. So one of them is it is still a, a service mesh uh, in that it's providing these type of declarative um, these, this declarative uh, configuration that then goes off and does something interesting for you. But simultaneously, it's also a... So network service mesh itself is a distributed system. So there's no centralized control. So your node knows what it's connected to. It, know, it, uh, it knows how to, how to negotiate those connections with other, with other nodes. And so, or between network between uh, network services, so you can think of it as a mesh of network services, and so it's sort of a play on both ideas of giving a nod to the service mesh uh, at the L two L three layer, and simultaneously being a mesh of, of network services. And so we we came up with the name based upon that uh, amalgamation. Uh, I came later to the project, so I don't know the origination of the name, but. Uh 
least from my point of view, I see a lot of overlapping with the concepts, and I can very, very easily, uh, easily, very easily map uh, the term mesh here. So, uh, for example, uh, if you take uh, the traditional application as service meshes, one of the things there, one of the main functionality there is that you can essentially direct traffic, and by traffic here, uh, essentially, um, it's mainly meant to be a TCP, some form of TCP connection, or maybe even HTTP, or HTTP2. Um, and um, essentially, you, you are able to direct the traffic from one um, one endpoint to the other uh, by according to some to some rules. Uh, so uh, with network service mesh, uh, essentially the descriptor that I spoke about, uh, we are not directing the traffic, but essentially we are generating um, based on some predefined rules. We are generating a link between the two. Uh, endpoints between the two pods uh, in the in the case of Kubernetes uh, again based on based on on rules. So uh, instead of just m manipulating the connectivity on uh, let's say TCP establishment uh, layer, we are manipulating them on a lower lower uh, layer two or one can argue maybe some form of layer one plus uh, uh, level, essentially point-to-point -point co connectivity between the pods. So, Thanks. That helps clarify that for me. What's the future of, of network service mesh? What are you uh, working on uh, now, and, and what do you uh, plan to do in the, I, I don't know, next six to 12 months, or, or looking even further ahead? Today we had a really, really remarkable achievement. So one of our community members uh, have published the PR ready for review, um, uh, which uh, essentially enables the so-called uh, feature uh, interdomain, which allows us to do um, distributed uh, services uh, in a couple of uh, um, clusters. So that's what we do today. Uh, the, in the future, we'll probably try to do uh, things with um, uh, with other types of uh, workloads, uh, so this is this is one of the things that we are definitely looking at, and I believe that uh, no, that this is going to be a really, really, really interesting feature for a lot of people to to go and look at uh, network service mesh. Uh, uh, then uh, we are very, very much working also on enabling uh, security, um, so we don't uh, have. Uh, very good security today, but uh, there's there's a big effort going going on there. Um, um, I am uh, involved uh, in a couple of uh, projects uh, related to uh, CNCF CNF testbed, uh, which essentially is a place where uh, all these concepts uh, around uh, Im implementing cloud native approaches for telcos primarily are being evaluated. So. Um, we are working uh, close with the um, uh, people from that initiative, uh, for the team there, to enable network service mesh there. And the first couple of steps will be to, to just enable um, NSM there. Then we are probably going to uh, work, uh, and we have some something scheduled there already uh, for being able to have workloads dis distributed um, between uh, Kubernetes deployment and OpenStack deployment, so that one can uh, expose a service deployed in OpenStack and consume it from uh, Kubernetes or the other way around. Uh, so these are things that we are 
more or less have scheduled for within this year, within 2019. Yeah, we have uh, some very interesting talks submitted uh, for for the KubeCon, uh, like KubeCon in North America. Uh, and uh, we believe that, that this is going to drive a lot of the development there and be able to do interesting demos. Oh, Something probably. interesting on the security part as well. So I highly recommend um, that you take a look at, uh, there's a project called uh, Spiffy and Spire. So S-P-I-F-F-E and Spire is S-P-I-R-E. And so there's the basic idea is like, how do you establish trust between two, uh, you could say two clusters or it could be two, two organizations uh, and so you have a root certificate, and they attest uh, certificates underneath of them, which could be a node, and then those nodes can then attest a workload underneath of them. And so when you connect from workload to workload, you're able to verify the signatures all the way to the root, and then it becomes a matter of trusting the roots together. And so this this helps establish the concept of identity, um, of, uh, of authentic authentication. And then when you tie in authorization, uh, as a separate uh, as a separate thing, and it makes it makes building things like authorization a lot uh, a lot easier. And so we're we're building the interdomain secure and security. They eventually they converge uh, into like how do you negotiate those connections? But how do you also make sure that the thing that you're connecting to is who it says what it, what it is? And one of the things that we're looking at is how do we also do that across a, a, a chain? So you could think of it as uh, maybe you maybe you want to connect to three or four different entities uh, to provide you a, a total service, and so you get a list of of services that you're traversing through. And when you when you get that list, you can you can approve or deny the uh, the list based upon the the trust that you that you have. So there's uh, there's some really amazing work that uh, that the team has been working on in that area that. Uh, that is enabled by uh, things like Spiffy and Spire and uh, gRPC and various other things that and various other cloud uh, cloud native uh, CNCF technologies. And uh, Spiffy and Spire is, CNC, is a CNCF project as well, so uh, you should be able to find find it on the CNCF website. Speaking of CNCF project, there's one uh, more cool thing that that actually is happening. Uh, we already have an example of enabling Envoy as a, a endpoint or as a uh, network service uh, and there has been discussions uh, with some members of uh, other various of, of other communities that actually are getting interest uh, into um, how how we can essentially enable network service meshes and underlying connectivity layer uh, under uh, let's say being placed uh, under Istio uh, or yeah Istio essentially uh, so the, the the point there is that instead of injecting uh, the the envoy proxy in each and every port, to essentially let uh, NSM do the wiring uh, for envoy uh, in a way that uh, that you, you can share proxies between uh, between ports that are of the same tenant or being on the same node or you know various interesting uh, use cases there. So that's also also a thing. Wow, thank you. If people want to know uh, more about Network Service Mesh, what's the best place for them to go? So uh, we have networkservicemesh.io, 
if you another way to find it is you can go to the cncf.io webpage, and we're also linked from there in their sandbox projects. Uh, we are available on GitHub, so we accept uh, patches from uh, from people. Uh, we also we also have in the GitHub projects we have something called a specs board. So if there's some feature that you really care about, uh, one way to to potentially get it into Network Service Mesh would be to create a spec and to say this is something that I think would be interesting. And then the community then focuses on on is it acceptable or not acceptable? Is it appropriate uh, place for Network Service Mesh to to handle it? And if so then how would how will we go around implementing this? Uh, and we're also setting the specs up so that someone who wants to build something on top of network service mesh can also make a spec and we'll help them there as well if as long as they're comfortable with the information being public. Um, another area as well is, is we're available on Slack. So if you go to, uh, to slack.cncf.io, that'll give you a link to join the CNCF Slack. And within the CNCF Slack, uh, our channel is uh, pound... NSM. So, yeah, c- feel free to come and uh, and join us, have conversations with us, ask us questions. So we have a very active community. And just to amend here, uh, we are very much spread uh, all over different time zones, so uh, you can very easily find uh, find someone online, uh, no matter which time zone you are, and be able to answer your questions. And would uh, either of you like to promote your own personal social media uh, in case people want to uh, catch up with either of you? So you can find me on Twitter at FFKIV. Um, It's my initials and the number four in Roman numerals afterwards. And uh, you can also uh, engage Network Service Mesh. uh, I believe it's N Service Mesh on on Twitter. So, and uh, the letter N, Service Mesh. And... um, uh, uh, I think uh, Nikolai, you you recently joined Twitter as well, so uh, so you're able to join in if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I'm not very much uh, active on Twitter, and I, I don't even remember my Twitter handle. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm also on. Uh, yeah, I essentially prefer the, the the Slack channel. I'm there, Nikolai Nikolaev. Uh, you can find me. Ready to answer questions and help. All right. Uh, that's great. Uh, thank you very much for uh, joining me on OVS Orbit. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, having us on. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org, or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.